Well, good morning. I invite you to open the Word of God this morning to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 is our text this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 14 down to verse number 25 of Romans chapter 7. As Adam alluded to last week, chapter 7 of Romans is a hotly debated chapter. A lot of ink has been spilt over the years trying to explain what these verses are getting at and in particular who they are talking about. A Paul before conversion or a Paul after conversion. Many good Bible-believing scholars disagree on this. Uh, from the outset, let me just uh, say that I believe that Paul here is speaking about the experience of the believer that we're going to be seeing in these verses. Uh, that's the majority position, by the way, just a side note, uh, on the last, for the last 2,000 years uh, in church history. So if I am wrong on this, at least I am not the only one. In, instead of giving a reason here at the outset of why I think these verses uh, uh, lean towards this, I'll just point those out as we go through the sermon this morning. Um, as we look to read these verses, I encourage you to look for these three things. We'll read it here in just a second. Look here how Paul acknowledges his own sinfulness in these verses. Look at how he reiterates the goodness of the law of God. And most uh, strikingly, I think we will see Paul's struggle with sin in his life. So we'll see those things. His acknowledgement of his own sinfulness, the reality that the law is good and his struggle with sin. So with that in mind, I invite you to stand. If you are able this morning out of reverence for God's word as it is read, we'll begin in verse number 13. We'll just take a step back lest we keep going and read a couple of chapters. But we'll begin in verse number 13. Let's listen to the word of the Lord. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Father, we ask now for your help. Lord, we ask now that you would help us through your Holy Spirit as we now look to your word before us. Father, would you guide us into your truth this morning? 
Father, would you help us to walk away from this message and from this text this morning with taking no confidence in the flesh, but fully relying upon the work of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit to bring about change in our lives. Father, would we walk away from these verses being more patient and loving with one another? Father, would we walk away from these verses with an ever-growing delight in what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross? Lord, would you help us now, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. We may be seated. Quite frankly, trying to understand and outline these verses has felt very similar to trying to hold on to a bowling ball covered in grease. It's just been hard to get a grip on. But what I would like to do for us this morning as we look to, this, to these verses is to break it up into two particular parts. First, we're going to try to understand the flow of Paul's argument in these verses. We're going to try to understand what he is saying and walk through that. And secondly, to apply these verses to our life. So that's the overarching two uh, points this morning. What is Paul getting at here? What's he saying? What's the flow of his argument? And what are we to take away from these verses? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So uh, we're, we're jumping into, again, chapter 7 here. And the context of these verses that we see is Paul teaching on the law. He's teaching on the law and how Christians stand in relation to the law. And at the beginning of this chapter, we have seen how he teaches that believers need to die to the law. We're to die to the law so that we can be joined together to Christ. And in chapter 7, verse number 4, he says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, and then at the end of that verse he says, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So we're saved by grace, not by law-keeping, and also we must die to the law so that we may produce fruit in our lives. Verse number six of this chapter, now in Christ Jesus we are released from the law so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. So we need to die to the law so that we can bear fruit. And we need to be released from the law so that we can serve in the life that the Holy Spirit gives to us. So we could kind of say here that Paul speaks of our need to die to the law for our salvation, we need to die to the law for our salvation as we come to Christ, and we need to die to the law for our sanctification. So we need to die to the law for our salvation, but also we die to the law for our sanctification. This raises the question in verse 7, well, does this mean that the law is sin? And then in verse number 13, if the law is good, then did the law bring death to me? Meaning, was the law like a poison that killed me? And Paul, as we have seen, answers that with a very strong, by no means, absolutely not. The law is not sinful. The law was given to point out our sin, to show us that we are sinful. And no, the law doesn't poison us and cause us to die. It was sin that is dwelling within us that's the problem. It's not that we were good and the poison of the law came to kill us. Now in verses 14 to 25, Paul here is going to speak as we see about his own personal experience with the law. If my counting was correct in these verses, we have uh, uh, 26 times Paul uses I in these verses. Maybe you saw that as, as we read through. And he uses me, my, and myself 13 times. That's almost 40 times, 39 I think, 30, almost 40 times in these 12 verses Paul is referring to himself and his own experience. So what we see here is Paul coming and he's speaking from his eye level. He's very open. He's very honest in these verses. 
and he's using his own experience. He's using his own shortcomings in his life to teach us that the flesh cannot keep the law of God. These verses speak about the struggle and sanctification and the fight with indwelling sin. Now some here might be falsely thinking of Paul, and I think this is why he's speaking like this in these verses. Why is he going into all this personal information of of fighting with sin in his own life, doing what he doesn't want to do, not doing what he knows he should do? He gives all of this struggle. Why does he do that? Well, I think some might say to him, Paul, you've been talking about the law and our need to die to the law. Maybe the problem is in your sanctification, you're not loving the law enough. If you would only come to the law, then the law could help you out in your growth in holiness. The law could help you out in your sanctification and living in obedience to God. Because quite frankly, Paul, it seems like you're kicking the law to the curb here in these verses saying it's sinful and saying, uh, uh, having to answer that it's not sinful and answer that it doesn't bring about death. Maybe you should love the law more, Paul, and then you would be able to live in obedience to God. And so Paul shows in these verses, look, I do love the law. I do love the law of God. The law is good. The problem with sin in my life is indwelling sin that comes from me it's not because I don't love the law enough look I know what the law says and I still can't keep it I think that's what Paul is doing here in these verses by describing his own experience his disobedience in his life is not because of his view of the law The main theme and teaching of this verses is this, our sinful flesh is not able to keep the law. Our sinful flesh is not able to keep the law. Only the Holy Spirit can give us the ability to bear fruit for God. Not from our flesh. The law is good, but loving the law does not give us the ability to obey the law. Only the Spirit can give us the ability to bear fruit for God. We struggle with sin not because we don't love the law of God. We struggle with sin because as believers, we have such a thing called indwelling sin in our lives. I think, I think that's the flow of what Paul is saying here in these verses and his struggle. In these verses, verse 14 to 25, Paul is going to hit on three main truths, three main things, and we're just going to look at these three things, and we're going to see them all throughout these verses. The first thing is, Paul reiterates that the law is good. We see that in these verses. Paul says the law is good. He's going to continue to say that. Secondly, we see that Paul uh, acknowledges that the Christian life is a struggle. So our life is a struggle. The law is good. Our life is a struggle. And third, he speaks about the fact that believers still have indwelling sin. We're simultaneously righteous and sinful, as Martin Luther put it, in our lives. Those three things I think we're going to see as we move through these verses. The the verses themselves, so that's, kind of it for the outline and we're going to just walk through these verses because they kind of they they do all this and we'll just kind of walk through it and see what Paul is doing but we come to this first pair and we could say verse 14 to 17 that we see all three of these things those three things on the the screen all three of those points are going to be seen in these verses that we look through so verse 14 to 17 we're going to see that verse 18 to 20 we're going to see that and then verse 21 down to 25 we're going to see that we're going to see all three of these things in these verses so look here at verse number 14 Paul says for we know that the law is spiritual but I am in the flesh sold under sin 
You see the contrast he immediately brings up here between the law and the flesh. And when Paul speaks of the flesh here, he's not meaning our physical flesh per se. All right, He's not, not talking about the skin and the bones of us, but he's meaning here our sinful flesh, our sinful nature. We're sold under sin, that is, sin still dwells in us, but the law... Oh, the law is different. It is of the Holy Spirit of God. It is good. He supports, verse 14, supports that claim from verse number 13, basically saying the problem is not with the law, the problem is with us. And in verse number 15, he continues, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Of course, Paul is speaking here of his experience I think the experience of a believer because what unbeliever would say they want to do right but they mess up what unbeliever would describe doing wrong as something they hate and so Paul here describes the wrong as hating it he hates to do that so he's teaching I think about his own experience his own life his experience with the law as a believer and in verse number 16, he says, "What Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. I said, what do you mean by that, Paul? Well, in other words, Paul is saying, when I sin, I'm reminded of the fact that I am the problem, not the law. I'm reminded of the fact that I am sinful. I have a desire to do what is right, but when I do not do it, when I sin and fall short, God's law shows me what is right. And I am reminded of the fact that I still have sin. I have sin in my life. Verse 17 says, So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And at first blush, you hear that and you read that and you say, what, Paul? What, what are you talking about? Are you trying to get yourself off the hook here by saying the devil made me do it? It wasn't me that did it. It was sin that did it. Seems like maybe he's trying to skip culpability here. So what is Paul getting at? Well, Paul speaks like this because of the fact that he is a new creation in Christ Jesus his identity now is a child of God and he says look when you see me sinning you need to realize that does not come from the work of the Holy Spirit in my life when you see me sinning it's not because I need to trust in the law more to give me life no when you see me sinning it's because I'm still struggling with my sinful flesh. Verse 18 supports this understanding of verse 17. You can take verse 17 out of context and get in some bad, weird, sinful teaching really quick. But look at how verse 18 keeps this confined. It says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. You see how Paul explains it right there when he's speaking about nothing good in him he's saying nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh it's in my sinful flesh the indwelling remaining sin in my life as a believer and you see the distinction between flesh and spirit here we're a new creation in Christ Jesus we walk now in the spirit but we still struggle with our flesh Paul continues to say the same thing in these next verses. So within all those three verses, we see him reiterating that the law is good. The problem is not with the law. Our life is a struggle. We struggle in our life, and believers have indwelling sin. We see him confess that with saying that it is sin within us. Look at verse 18 and 19, and listen for the same things of verse 14 and 15. You're going to hear them in here. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. 
For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So see, again, Paul is sharing his struggle here in his life. He desires to do what is right, but he finds that he falls sinfully short. This isn't his whole experience as a believer, but it is part of the story. We fall short. Even as new creations, even as those who have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within us, we produce fruit, good, biblical, holy fruit, but sometimes, many times, we do exactly what we know we shouldn't do. Can you resonate with what Paul is doing in these verses and what he's getting at? Do you see this reality in your own life? Many times you want to do right. You could characterize your life of that, of wanting to live in obedience to God, but quite frankly, if we looked at your life every minute of every day, you don't do that. You don't want to do something, but you do it, and you should do something, but you don't. These struggles aren't our whole story, but they sure are part of our story as a believer. Our indwelling sin and sinful nature are defeated, but yet not wiped out. Paul says, we know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. Augustine, in his book, Uh, the confessions paused and gave this little prayer as he was writing. Lord, the good in me you wrought, the rest is my fault. And that's the flavor of what Paul is getting at here. Our indwelling sin within us is our fault. And anything good, any fruit that is produced is God's fault, right? He's the one that brings that about through his Holy Spirit in our lives, but the sin, Paul is saying, that you see within me, where does that come from? It's not because I don't love the law of God enough. I know what the law says, but I still can't do it. He's saying it is because of sin that is dwelling within me. And he continues carrying on in verse 20 with again making this statement about indwelling sin. He says, now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. It's the same thing he said in verse number 17. And Paul is again here speaking as a Christian. When he sins, the source of that sin is not the new creation or because he's not living by the law in his life, that sin comes from his sinful flesh. Commenting on these verses, one pastor says this, So I think what Paul is saying is not that Christians live in continual defeat, but that no Christian lives in continual victory over sin. Okay, so he's saying... It's it's not that we live in continual defeat, but what Paul is saying is we don't live in continual victory. Or as Martin Luther put it, we're simultaneously or at the same time righteous and a sinner. And that is what Paul is getting at here in these verses. And that's the flip side of the coin. That as a believer, we are changed We are made into a new creation. We are not what we used to be. God has changed us and transformed us. And we've seen these beautiful truths in chapter 6 or chapter 5, chapter 3. We could go all the way back, right? We've seen these all the way through that we're a new creation. Jesus has died for us. He has done what we could not do for ourselves. And Paul comes in, he says, yes, it is true, we are not who we used to be, we've been changed. But Paul comes in here and says, look, we also need to remember that we are not yet 
perfect. We've not yet attained to what we will be when Christ returns. The other side of that coin of being a new creation of God is that we still sin. We don't live in continual victory over sin and that's the side of the coin that Paul is getting at here. And so next week before we launch into these fabulous, one of the most amazing chapters in all of the Bible is Romans chapter eight. And before we jump into this pool, we need to see and to be reminded of this very fact. The flip side of the coin is yes, we are changed, we are new creations, but we're not yet what we one day will be when Christ returns. There's still the struggle with sin. So we see those three things in those three verses. The last section of verses here is verse 21 and 25. And this says the, the same three things that you see there are going, those themes are repeated here, except there's going to be a little bit more umph as we read them in these verses. There's going to be a little bit more summary fashion to where Paul is drawing a conclusion here, and he busts out right before the end and then comes right back to it. Uh, and then in chapter 8, busts out again, but that's next week. So look with me at verse number 21. Kind of concluding, he says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. The law is good. Problem's not with the law. Paul says, I find this to be true in my life. I want to do right. That desire to be obedient to God is there, but also I find this to be true Disobedience lies close at hand. And in verse 22 and 23, he continues to describe this trouble or struggle. He says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. See what Paul says there. I love the law and instruction of God in my inner being. My problem here is not loving the law. I do love the law. I delight in it. In my heart, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Verse 23, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul delights in God's law, but he also sees this struggle, this battle, this fight in his members. This language of members harkens back to chapter 6, verse 12 to 13. There we are commanded to present our members to God and not to sin. Right? Present your members to God, not to disobedience, not to sin. Now, why would we need to be instructed to do that? Why would we need to be instructed to present our members to God? Well, because we struggle, quite frankly. Often we don't do that, and so we have to be instructed to do that because there's a battle, and that's what Paul is saying in these verses. We continue to deal with indwelling sin in our lives. Sometimes we're obedient, sometimes we succeed, and sometimes we fail. We fall short. This brings Paul to this crescendo in verse number 24. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? When you sin and when you struggle in your life and when you fall short and then you do okay, you think you do okay, then you're not, and then you sin, you struggle, you fall short, and then you're convicted of sin in your life, and then you see signs of God's grace in your life, and then you're convicted of sin again that you see that you did again of something that came off your tongue that shouldn't. Doesn't it bring this same resound in your life? Wretched man, that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Because this body will die. 
our sinful nature, praise God, will also die. And then comes the new creation, the new body, the new life. But now there is this struggle. Who will deliver me? And Paul just bursts forth in verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He just busts out with it. Well, praise be to God. He is the one that is going to deliver me from this body of death. Notice the tense of the verb being used here. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Help me out. Past tense, present tense, future tense. Future tense, right? Who will do it? Who will deliver me from this body of death? And Paul jumps in and says, praise God, Jesus Christ is going to deliver me from this body of death. That's just a side. That's another reason I think why he's speaking here as a believer, because I don't know of what unbeliever could say such things. Right? But Paul says, this is what the future is. I struggle, I long, I wait for that day to come. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. And you would think, I would think, right from there, Paul would jump into chapter 8, verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I think he'd just jump, I mean, he's already, you can hear him raring to go, right? He's, he's right there, but no, what does he do? He puts on the brakes and he ends the chapter with like a, yeah, we're struggling. So then... He says right before jumping into it, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. In other words, we keep marching on, seeking to live in obedience by the Holy Spirit, realizing that we are at the same time righteous and sinful. Realizing that we struggle with indwelling sin in our lives realizing that the flesh cannot keep the law, realizing that the law is not the answer to the believer's sin. Chapter 8, verse number 1 is the answer to the believer's sin. Well, that's the, that's the first point. That's the first part of this. The second part is we're going to look at some points of application from these verses as we seek to apply that to our lives. Um, I came up with about 12 or 13 and then had to do something else, And came, but don't worry, we condensed it, we, I condensed it down to five. So five, five things for us to see from these verses. There's a ton of stuff that we could see, but I want to, I want to point, point to five things. Already been alluded to some of them. Number one, first off, struggling with sin should encourage us. Struggling with sin should encourage us. Now, hear me out. This is not permission to sin, by the way. Let me clarify, okay? This is not permission to sin. Paul is not giving here in these verses permission for believers to pursue and go after sin. Right? That's definitely not what he is doing here. The fact of the matter is, Christians still sin. There are people that tell you otherwise, that you can attain to a state of sinless perfection in your Christian life. They're, they're deceived, or they just don't know themselves, or maybe they're not even married, right? You just get married, you'll, you'll figure that out continually, right? We have indwelling sin in our lives. The fact of the matter is Christian sin. Born again, blood-bought, Holy Spirit-indwelled believers still sin in their lives. The Bible does not teach Christian perfectionism. Watch out for Watchman Nee. He's wrong on this. Godly, mature believers still sin. And listen, in your struggle and battle with sin, have you ever said to yourself these words or thought this in your mind? How can God give me his Holy Spirit and change me and I still sin? I wonder if I'm even a Christian at all. 
You ever said that to yourself? You ever thought that before? Listen, dear soul. Sin is not a sign of not being a child of God. In fact, your very concern for your sin is a sign of God's grace in your life. Pastor Ligon Duncan put it like this. The battle between the Holy Spirit and sin doesn't cease at conversion. It begins at conversion. That battle doesn't cease when we come to faith in Christ. It begins there. Struggling with sin is a sign of life. Because you know what? Dead things don't struggle. Dead things don't fight. Dead things don't like because they're dead. But when we struggle we see there's an evidence of God's grace even within the struggle that we don't want to do, the things we do and even maybe did before. Maybe in your back and forth battle with sin, you've grown weary and want to throw up your hands in defeat and say, just forget it. Maybe you've done that in your mind and said to yourself after struggling, if, well, just forget, I'm so sick and tired of struggling with sin and fighting with sin and trying to change. Just forget this whole Christian thing and maybe you're tempted just to walk away. I'm so sick of the battle. I'm so tired of the battle. I'm tired of the fight. I get so frustrated and I just want to walk away. Maybe you've said that or thought that before. But would you see from these verses that this is the normal Christian experience would you take your frustration to the cross today would you realize that hey the christian life is a battle it is a continual battle with indwelling sin in our lives again hear me this is not permission to sin permission to pursue sin that's not what paul is getting at here but he's saying look in the battle in the fight in the struggle with sin that is something that happens to the believer it's not because we don't love the law enough. It's because we still fight with this thing called a sinful nature that's already been defeated but not yet eradicated. Realize that our hope of complete and full change will come when Jesus Christ returns to this earth or when you finish the race. Don't, don't think heaven is going to happen in this sense right now in your life that you're not going to sin. I mean, I can almost just bring tears to my eyes thinking of the future of not sinning, of living in obedience to God, to not have to, because I get tired of this battle. I know you do too. The fight with sin in our lives, you get tired of it. You fight it daily. You wake up to it. Oh, our longing is for the future when Christ returns or when we die and we will be transformed. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Praise be to God, Jesus Christ will deliver me from this body of death. Take comfort in your future salvation. So point number one, struggling with sin should encourage us. Point number two, the believer can never be complacent with sin. The believer can never be complacent with sin. We realize that we will continue to struggle, but we're not to be complacent nor content with sin in our lives. See, we could take this too far by saying, yeah, pastor said I'm going to struggle with sin, so here we go with struggling, right? No, that's not what he's saying here. The believer never acts like that to say oh I know I'm going to sin let me just jump into it no we are never complacent with sin there's never permission to sin there's no taking sin lightly in these verses the presence of sin in Paul's life leaves him to call himself a wretched man and Paul struggles and fights against sin in these verses 
as Christians, we should never get to a point where we're comfortable with sin in our lives. Sin is to be sought out. Sin is to be destroyed. Paul says elsewhere, we're to put to death the things of the flesh, bring to life the things of the Spirit. Is there a sin in your life that you have cozied up to? Is there a sin in your life that you're not fighting? Our lives should be characterized by a fight with our indwelling sin. Fight sin with the gospel. Fight sin by reminding yourself of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for you. That he paid it all. Remind yourselves of the truth of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And fight sin with gratitude. Fight it with gratitude. Fight sin with gratitude over what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. Because the more you come back to the cross, the more you're going to see the love that God has shown you through Christ Jesus, the more you're going to love him, and the more you're going to be filled with his Holy Spirit and the strength that he gives to fight sin in your life. You see, God uses the gospel to do just that, to help us fight sin in our lives. The gospel fuels the fight against sin. Number three, we must rely on the Holy Spirit to be changing us and not the law of God. We must rely on the Holy Spirit to be the one changing us and not the law of God. Again, part of what Paul is doing here in these verses is teaching us that the law in and of itself cannot change us. The law is perfect but powerless. We're only able to walk in newness of life and bear fruit for God by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Our sinful flesh, our sinful nature is weak and incapable. The law is perfect and good but does not in and of itself possess the power to change us. This is, what Paul, this is why Paul spoke so strongly to the Galatians in chapter 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? It's kind of that same thought he's using there in Galatians chapter 3. You began by the Spirit and now you're going to be sanctified and made holy by the, by the flesh? Our growth in our lives comes through hearing and faith. The law points us in the right direction, but does not put the wind in our sails to help us go in that right direction. It's the Holy Spirit of God that enables us to obedience. I'm not sure who this quote comes from, but it's always stuck with me. Most attribute it to John Bunyan. But here's how it goes. Run and work, the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. A sweeter sound the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. You see, it's the gospel of God and the Holy Spirit that enables us to obey The law of God doesn't enable us to obey. It's the Holy Spirit of God that allows us to obey the instruction of God. Look, that's the fact in our lives. So we must rely on the Holy Spirit to be changing us and not the law of God. But I want to apply that too for a moment for your relationship towards other people. Not only do we rely on the Holy Spirit to change us, Look, brothers and sisters, we must rely on the Holy Spirit to be changing other people too. Imagine somebody coming to you and saying, I need help with this sin. I'm not content. I covet. Which, by the way, that's 
in chapter 6. That's the context, verse number 7 of coveting, right? It's the sin of covet that Adam pointed to last week, that sin of coveting inside of us, of wanting something that we do not have. It's an internal sin. That's the context of the sin that, that he's speaking about here. Somebody comes to you and say, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with accepting my circumstances that God has placed me in. You say, well, God's word says you're not to covet. That was easy. Let's pray, right? <laughs> you know you're supposed to be content. Come on now, don't you know? I thought you knew God's, the Bible said be content. I mean, come on, so be content. That's obvious. I need to get a counseling degree, right? This is wonderful person says I know God's word says that I still do it I still struggle right you see just telling someone what they should do oftentimes will not be the solution because they know what they should do the problem is that they fail to do it it's in these times that we need to pray we need to seek the Holy Spirit to bring about a change of our hearts a change of our desires to go back again to the gospel of Jesus Christ of what he's done for us our love for him our gratitude for him that will then fuel our obedience because so many times our disobedience is not because we don't know what to do we just don't love and have gratitude for God to do it and we struggle with our sin that remains so we need to be patient with one another as God works not only in our lives but also in the lives of others. Which brings us to the fourth thing here. The fifth one's going to go quick, don't worry. Fourth, realize that the church is a community of sinners and live in an understanding way with one another. Realize that the church is a community of sinners and live in an understanding way with one another. When we covenant and commit together with one another, we'll be reading that covenant tonight at our meeting when we come together. We're committing and covenanting together with a whole bunch of sinners that aren't yet made perfect. We're committing and covenanting together with people that want to do the right thing, but even yet still struggle to do it. Sin they know about in their lives, and maybe even sin, of course, there is sin that we don't know about in our lives. And when you come into a church, when you come and join a church and you begin to be a part of a church, you get to know one another better and you also get to see one another's faults better. You come in, you join a church, you realize, oh, I didn't know there was a history here between that and this, these people. Didn't know about those old wounds. Uh, you get to know people more, and maybe the more you get to know them, the more they get on your nerves. And so you think, well, hmm, I'm just going to pull away from them. I'm just going to pull away. Just kind of keep, keep, it, keep it simple. Keep, keep, it, keep it shallow. See somebody maybe struggling with a sin that annoys you. Maybe it's that tendency to kind of pull away a little bit. But if it's true that believers still struggle with indwelling sin, and that is true, then we should be patient with one another. We should live in an understanding way with one another. We should live in a loving way with one another. We should not view each other as brothers and sisters who are all not struggling in their life, but rather we should view each other as brothers and sisters who are still struggling with indwelling sin in our life and who are fighting, many of whom they, they know they shouldn't be doing this, but they've struggled with the sin, maybe they struggle with a bad attitude, and they're trying to fight it. They know she shouldn't have that bad attitude, but it squeaks out and it comes out in little statements here and there, and you can't get them back, and you're, uh, and you're worried, and you're sure. We need to have patience with 
one another and live in an understanding way with one another because we're all fighting indwelling sin that remains within us. Should we not grow in our patience with one another? Shouldn't we grow in our leaning into people and not leaning away from them? We need to be a humble people, a humble community of people who receives believers who struggle, not giving excuses for sin. It's not what's being said here. It doesn't mean we don't live in obedience to, to the Bible's teaching of church discipline and dealing with people who are unrepentant in their sin. All of that falls under this, but we live in an understanding way. We live lovingly, accepting each other with their shortcomings as a fellow brother and sister in Christ who struggles. It's always easier to see the other person's sin than it is your own sin. We always need to be reminded of the fact we struggle too. Don't you want people to accept you even though you struggle? Don't you want them to extend forgiveness for you when you mess up? Don't you want them to think positively of you and, and not negatively of you? To err on the side of kindness instead of being judgmental? Well, do that to others. Same thing you want them to do to you. Fifthly and lastly, ultimately, our sin doesn't define us. Who we are in Christ defines us. Paul so greatly identifies himself as a new creation and someone who has been buried and raised with Christ that when he sins, he speaks of it as if it is not him who did it, but sin that is dwelling within him. The only way he could speak like that is if that is true. That is, even though we have indwelling sin, who we are is not our sin, we are a child of God, first and foremost. We are a new creation. We are alive in Christ. Praise be to God. That is ultimately who we are. We struggle. We struggle. With our inner beings, we serve God, but we struggle. We struggle with sin. But praise God that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The hope of a wretch is not the law. The hope of a wretch is Jesus Christ to save us and to change us. Let's pray. Father, we do indeed praise you afresh for Jesus Christ and the work he did on the cross for, cross for us. How truly amazing it is that you would send Jesus Christ to save a wretch Father, help us ever to be coming back to the gospel of Jesus Christ of what you've done on the cross for us to fuel our love for you and our love for others. Oh Jesus, indeed, how we thank you for what you've done for us on the cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.